The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Amen. Our heart is more deceitful than we admit. Our heart is deceitful above what we can even truly know about it. Because of that, we need to guard it against lies that it tells us in order to excuse and justify sin in our lives. And we want to learn how to detect those lies. and We want to reject those lies and not believe them. The first one we looked at this morning was, I've got lots of time. Young people especially think they have lots of time. They can get serious later in life. Youth is a time for fun and pleasure. And I'll get serious when I get into life and life is more serious for me. Then I'll get serious about the Lord. And we looked at the fact that the Bible doesn't allow us to think that way. We do not know even what's going to happen tomorrow. The second delusion we looked at was evil communications corrupt good manners. You will never be better than your friends. And so you are going to end up being who you pick as your friends. That is what you are. Birds of a feather flock together. Meaning that carnal Christians only like carnal Christians. I watch it among our young people. I watch it among the whole church. The carnally minded church members don't like the spiritually minded church members. Because they're boring to them, they're irritating to them, they're convicting to them, they're offensive. Spiritually minded church members don't like the carnally minded church members because they're a waste of their time. It's just the way it is. Birds of a feather flock together. So within every church, the spiritually minded members congregate together and the carnally minded members have to make their friends among the carnal cesspool. It's that way in every church. In the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul spoke of making the spiritually minded members the example that all the members should follow. But he well knew that there were many that were the enemies of the cross of Christ because they minded earthly things. And it's so easy to find out if a person minds earthly things, just walk up and have a conversation with them. All they can talk about are earthly things. Their job, the least important thing in the universe, their job. Then the next least important thing in the universe, their family. And they talk about those things. Then the next least important thing in the universe, their country. Then the next least important thing in the universe, their opinions on any subject. Because none of those things are important. The important things are what is God's opinion on what we're doing. And will God be blessing my family? Will God be blessing my soul? And will God take care of this nation and deliver it? from the foolishness and ignorance that's part of it. And so there's a whole different mindset. Evil communications, corrupt good manners. You'll never be better than the friends you pick. The the third delusion that we looked at was, I'm not as bad as others. The Bible doesn't allow us for such foolish thinking because the Bible wants us to compare ourselves against the standard of His Word and the heroes that He has given us in the Word of God. Someone will then say, Well, I'm being blessed anyway. Oh, sweet. You're being blessed. How do you know that it isn't God's curse? I read in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 31 that there is the prosperity of a fool. That is no blessing. God save me from such blessings. The prosperity of a fool shall deceive them. Meaning that God will sometimes let a fool get away with what he's doing... 
and make it look like he's successful in order to see if you're going to measure life by that fool that's getting away with it for a short period of time or by his word. It's called the prosperity of fools. Bill Gates is a fool and his prosperity is an illusion because Bill Gates does not fear God. So he's got the prosperity of fools and the ones with carnally minded eyes and ears read and hear about Bill Gates and think of what a nice life it would be to be Bill Gates or to be like Bill Gates and to be rich and to be successful. But the Bible tells us that gain is not godliness, nor is gain proof of anything. Look in your Bibles at... Oh, there's so many verses. First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. Where, where we can gather the words that I just said to you. Verse 5. The last four words are, from such withdraw thyself. Do you know why it says that? Because the Apostle Paul was reaffirming delusion number two, evil communications corrupt good manners. Get away from teachers like this. Timothy, don't you hang around men like this. From such withdraw thyself. Then back up to the previous clause in the bottom part of verse five. These men suppose that gain is godliness, that success is a measure of God's approval, but it's not. Do you know what the Lord has to say about men that think that way? Well, you can read in verse 4. He is proud, knowing nothing. A man that thinks that gain is an evidence of godliness doesn't know anything about how the universe works. Verse 6 is the verse we want to remember. That godliness with contentment is great gain. That's how we want to measure our lives. Whether there's more or less money, a bigger or smaller house... Fewer or more automobiles is not the evidence of a man's life. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth, Jesus said. A man's life is to be measured by godliness and contentment. And the more he's got of those two things, he is great. He is experiencing great gain. But someone will say, I'm being blessed anyway. God must be approving of what I'm doing because he's blessing me. Look at Jeremiah 44 and let's see the, this delusion as the Israelites practiced it. Jeremiah chapter 44. Many of these delusions can be found in the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel because these were two books that are written by prophets <coughs> to whom the nation of Israel did not heed their warnings. Jeremiah 44 and verse 16. As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. Listen to the arrogant rebellion of the people of Israel to the word of Jeremiah. Let me repeat that 16th verse. <clears throat> They've been deceived. As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth. To burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her. As we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then had we plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. 
But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. See, these delusions are nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Israel told Jeremiah, we ain't going to listen to you because we and our fathers had a better life when we were doing things our own way and we were worshiping the queen of heaven. Do you know why they were having the good life for a little while while they worshiped the queen of heaven? Because God was giving them the prosperity of fools to see if they would measure their lifestyles by their successes or by God's word. Did this last for very long? Or did Nebuchadnezzar come and destroy them all? Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed them all except for Jeremiah. He destroyed all those that thought they had the good life back when they lived in sin. Oh, it's a delusion to say, I'm being blessed anyway. If you don't believe that it says prosperity of fools, look at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 32 just to see the word of the Lord and how that God uses that prosperity of fools to destroy men. A wise man learns how to look at the whole world and understand what's going on. God made Bill Gates rich to destroy men. Bill Gates was just one other twisted geek. Didn't graduate from college. Got bored. Can't blame him altogether. Went out into his garage. Met a guy named Stephen Jobs. They accidentally stuck a few wires together and created the first personal computer. God arranged for that to happen. There have been more wannabe Bill Gates than Bill Gates can count. It was the providence of God that allowed that to happen. And when he doesn't give God the glory, he's just going to have more to answer for when he stands before him. Because I want to tell you something. Time and chance happeneth to them all. There's no military commander that can take responsibility for a battle victory. God arranged it. Time and chance happeneth to them all. The Bible says the battle is not to the strong, nor is the race to the swift. But time and chance happeneth to them all. And someone will look at time and chance and say, I want to live his lifestyle because, look, at he's rich and successful and famous. Not recognizing that time and chance happened to him by the government of God. And he thinks that he can follow that lifestyle and get away with it just like that man. You have no idea what God's doing through that man. I read to you Proverbs 132, and I've loved this verse for a long time because I'm, I, I learned to be sick in my early days in business of going to the business section of a bookstore and reading all the success stories of those who had made it and knowing that the Bible said they hadn't made it because of any of their wisdom because wealth is not by wisdom. It's by the blessing of God or the curse of God. So in Proverbs 132, it says, The turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. They see a fool prospering, and they say, I'm going to live like that because, look, he's getting away with it, and he's actually being successful. And the God of heaven laughs. And I laugh with him, and I want all of you to laugh with him as you read the newspaper about anyone who thinks they're successful as measured by earthly terms of money or power or strength or education who do not fear the Lord. The prosperity of fools shall destroy them. 
When you say, I'm being blessed anyway, how do you know you're not a fool and God's just blessing you a little bit with prosperity of fools? How do you know that? Right. You don't know it. But I know it. Because you've lied to yourself and I'm not going to lie to myself. The Bible says that your blessing is the blessing of a fool. Because if you don't fear the Lord, if you don't fear the Lord and are doing what you should be with that blessing, then it's to destroy you, not to favor you. Oh, that's a huge swing, isn't it? in our understanding of what goes on in the world. We want to submit ourselves to the Word of God and understand those things. Look at Psalm 106. Psalm 106. I'm being blessed anyway. Psalm 106, verse 14, They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. This is the nation of Israel. They lusted exceedingly. They tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request. Now let's just stop in the middle of the verse. And I know you've probably already read ahead or you already know the rest of the verse. Stop in the middle of that verse. These people lusted. They were sick of eating God's manna. Now if you had free angel food, angel's food every morning, shouldn't you be thankful? Free angel's food. We're not talking about cream of wheat with lumps in it. We're talking about free angels' food. But they didn't want free angels' food. They wanted quail. So they lusted exceedingly and they tempted God in the desert for quail. We want meat. We want meat. We won't eat this stuff anymore. And so all of a sudden the quail came in. A breeze started blowing and the quail started coming. And they're cheering, they're shouting, they're celebrating they're calling on bulldozers and front-end loaders. Go read about the size of the piles they made a quail. Because to that moment, they think they got away. They're being blessed. We told God we wanted meat, and we're getting meat. And so God laid that meat on them three feet deep, as far as you could go in a day's journey in all directions. And they got bulldozers out, dump trucks, back front-end loaders, and they put it in monstrous piles until you could take skis. And ski down your piles of quail. But look what he did to them. He put leanness in their souls. They wanted flesh. He gave them flesh to stick in here. And while they were chewing on it, he killed a bunch of them. But he put leanness into their souls. Now, which do you want? Lord, let me be on the brink of starvation. Or let me starve to death as long as my soul is fat with your presence. But God save us from the prosperity of thinking that the, Lord, the Lord's blessing me because he's giving me these things while he dries up my soul. Do you, do you understand the difference? The, the wicked do not understand the difference. And a person that says, I'm being blessed. Do you, know what, do you know when they say those words, I'm being blessed? If you're spiritually discerning at all, you know they're in the flesh and you know they're already carnally minded. Their very statement is their own curse. They're not being blessed. God's giving them something for their lusts while destroying their spiritual sensibilities. A certain rich man thought he was being blessed, and he thought a certain beggar named Lazarus was not being blessed. Was there a reversal of fortune in that case? Amen. Indeed there was. If we measure our blessing, if we measure our lifestyle, or we measure our choices and our decisions by how well our life is going, what should we say about the Apostle Paul? He was one miserable sinner, wasn't he? That man had more secret sins than Job. Neither of them had any. 
The Apostle Paul's resume looks pretty bad, though, doesn't it? But was God with the Apostle Paul? When the Apostle Paul got to heaven, was Jesus Christ glad to see him again? Had he seen him before? Had they talked before? Yes. Was Paul glad to get there? What a, did he say, Lord, take me? Yes, he did. I'm ready to be offered. Second, Second Timothy chapter 4. Look at Ecclesiastes 9. We all ought to take philosophy as found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Are you able to look at the world and see a little deeper than he's rich, he must be getting blessed? Did you ever run into people at work that way? They get a promotion or someone gets a promotion and they say, he must be living right. Can you believe that? Are you kidding me? That's no evidence that he's living right. That's just as good of evidence that he's a fool and God's judging him. If you're, if you're fearing the Lord like Joseph and you're getting promoted because living like Joseph doesn't usually bring promotions from a spiritual standpoint, but you're getting promoted, then you can say, look at the Lord's blessing on Joseph. But just for anybody to say he must be living right, that's just, that's the deception. That's the lie. That's the delusion. Look what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 9. This is the philosophy of a wise man that was inspired. For all this I can, verse 1, not Ecclesiastes 9. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise in their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner. And he that sweareth as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. If you just look at natural circumstances on the outside, you cannot tell whom God loves or hates, because He sends His rain on the evil and the good, and He sends His shine, His sun to shine on the just and the unjust. Don't you measure so superficially. One of the evidences of intelligence and wisdom is the ability to look beyond the surface. And that is a lying delusion when you give it to yourself that I'm being blessed anyway. Start with the depth of your heart. How are you being blessed? Is your heart better than it was last year? Is your heart better today than it was last week? That's how we measure blessing. Don't measure it by something outward like the way the leaves are falling in your yard or whether you got a promotion on the job. Lots of men get promotions. That's not how you measure. You measure by the Word of God and by your own heart. He could be putting leanness in your soul while He gives you an advancement on the job. God's Word is the only measure. Do not say to yourself... That God's in favor of my lifestyle because I'm getting away with it. Or because God is blessing me. Look at Psalm 50. I've quoted this enough times in your hearing. But we need to quote these things again. It's by remembering these things that cause us to formulate our thinking and to not be deceived by our own delusions. Riches can be as big of a temptation as they can be a blessing. Riches can be as big of a curse as they can be a blessing. A promotion. Health, 
Health does not mean that God's in favor of everything in your life. The only way you can know if God's in favor of everything in your life is to measure it by God's Word. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. And forget the false ways out there. We want to measure the false ways in our own lives by that verse. Psalm 50 and verse 20. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Here's a backbiting, whispering, slandering talebearer. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. The wicked person in verse 20. Verse 21. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence, God tells us. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. When God is silent and lets you get away with sin for a little bit of a little time, you think that God's approving what you're doing. All he's doing is showing long suffering while the temperature of his wrath increases. But you're thinking one way in the first half of verse 21, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. This is the word of the Lord. This is not my word. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is silent sometimes so that you think he's approving of the way you're living. But he tells you he's going to change that by showing you his real thoughts on your lifestyle by tearing you in pieces and there will be none to deliver. So do not say, well, I'm being blessed the way I'm living. You should take your way of living and subject it to the fires of God's word and the hammer of God's word and see how much of it is left after the God's word burns it and smashes it. That's how we measure our lives. By the Word of God, we are Bible Christians. Every single thought, every word, every action should be measured and justified by the Word of God and by nothing else. If you go outside of this to say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, the Lord's actually blessing me, you've left something solid and sure for a lie. Don't go there. Measure it by this. And by this only. For you young people to say to yourselves, well, I'm in the top quartile. The top quartile may work in your spelling at school. It may work in your California achievement test. I hope you're all in the top quartile. But when it comes to godliness, do not compare yourselves among yourselves. Do not compare yourselves by blessings. Measure yourselves by the word of God. How closely is my life like what the Bible describes? Someone will say, when you ask them about their life and you question them, but it's not all my fault. Oh, yes. It's not your fault. Oh, it's not your fault. You're the sinner. You're the one we're confronting. You're the one we're asking about your sin, but it's not your fault. It's your sin, your choice, your problem, but it's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. When did that one start? When did that delusion take root in the earth? Genesis chapter 3. The woman said, it's that serpent that made me do it. Who made you talk to her, woman? Who made you talk to it, woman? Who made you listen to it? Who made you obey it? Who made you to look at the fruit of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and think about what the devil said to you? You did all those things. Then Adam, it's the woman thou gavest me. She made me do it. 
we're always blaming someone else. That is a delusion to excuse us that we're not really guilty before God. I guess the reason that I was a rebel teenager, let's, let's, I've been thinking about this now for 35 years. The reason that I was a wicked 16 year old are those faithless, wicked, hypocritical, nasty, mean parents I have right there. They did it to me. They wouldn't let me have a mini bike when I wanted one. My dad didn't have enough money for a mini bike. I had to pedal everywhere I went. Do you know how much? The, oh, I was angry. I had to pedal, and all my little friends got to squeeze their little handlebar. So it's my parents that did it to me. It's their fault. You know them. You can see that. That they were the cause of my teenage rebellion. Men have done that forever. It's the pastor's fault. His preaching's boring. He doesn't stir me up enough. It's my parents. It's my spouse. You don't know what kind of a loving wife I could be if I just had a better husband. Yes, we do. You're the best you can be right now. You're not very loving. We always want to blame someone else. It's been that way from the very beginning. It's not my fault. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Do you know what the Bible actually teaches on this subject? That the worse it gets by those around you, the better opportunity you have to really show that you're a child of God. If you had perfect parents, you couldn't show that you were a good child of God as a child. How would you do it? If you had perfect parents. How could you show you were a good child of God? You wouldn't need any faith. Mommy and Daddy are going to take care of you. You wouldn't have to pray. You wouldn't have to endure temptation. You wouldn't have to bear up under anything. It's an imperfect world. Every, every bit of authority that we ever have in our lives is imperfect. We have an imperfect president now. We're about to get another one. Look what the Bible... I have been to this passage with you before on other subjects, but just think about its lesson to us. 1 Peter 2.18 Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. especially to the good and gentle, because it's impossible to be a good servant to the forward. Is that what 1 Peter 2.18 says, or anything like it? Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Do you want to do something that's worthy of having God commend you? How do you do it? Can you do it with a good boss? Can't do it. Can't do it with a good boss. You've got to have a forward boss to where you're enduring something wrongfully. You're enduring grief wrongfully. You're being mistreated on the job is the only way you can show you're a real Christian because then it's your conscience toward God that causes you to be cheerful to a wicked master. If you had a great master, how would you show your conscience toward God? In the same way. You couldn't. So don't tell me that it's someone else's fault. If you've got imperfect parents, and I had them as well, it's just a good way for you to show that you really fear God. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Eve did it. Adam did it. 
Adam's and Eve's ever since have done it. Exodus 32, verse 22, Moses comes down from the mount with ten commandments in his hands that God had written with his finger. And he sees that the whole nation is involved in a rock concert. They've stripped off their clothes. They're dancing and yelling and shouting to the music. They can't tell whether it's music or it's the sound of war. That's a rock concert. Have you ever been to one? You can't tell the difference whether it's music or the shouts of war. Moses comes down and finds the people worshiping a golden calf. And Moses says to Aaron, what in the world are you doing with this golden calf? In verse 22, Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Don't be so mean, Moses. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. And he blames the people. He blames the Israelites for what he did in making them a golden calf and telling them tomorrow is a feast to Jehovah via a golden calf. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. God told King Saul to kill all the Amalekites. He saved the king alive and saved all their good assets, their good flocks and herds. God had said to destroy everything. Samuel comes and confronts King Saul. First Samuel, chapter 15, verse 20. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. King Saul blames the people for having done something. He's got an army in place. Why doesn't he use an army for what it's good for? And that's to get rid of rebels. But he didn't do that. He blamed. Don't you blame anyone else for your sin. Your sin is your fault. No one can make you sin. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. No one can make you sin. If somebody holds you down the ground and pours Jack Daniels down your throat until you're drunk, you have not committed the sin of drunkenness. No one can make you sin. You choose to sin. Remember, Jesus said, as we read in Mark chapter 7, verses 13, this morning, verse 14, this morning, where does all sin come from? Your own heart. It can't go in here. A sin cannot go in here. No one can force you to sin. It all comes out of the heart. Adulteries, fornications, pride, foolishness, all those sins and everything in between come out of the heart. Galatians chapter 6. And verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. You cannot shift your burden to someone else. If you choose to live in sin, you cannot blame someone else for it and shift it to them. The Lord will not accept that. You have a choice, and that is to obey the God of heaven and what he's revealed in his precious word, the Bible. Look at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's prayer of confession. One of the great confession prayers of the Bible. The most thorough. We know the sin. We know the minister that confronted him. We know his confession. And here are, here are his words. <clears throat> Psalm 51, 
Verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Lord, I sinned. You are perfectly just and righteous in anything you say against me, in anything you do against me, because I sinned. My sin is ever before me. It's against thee that I sin, and I acknowledge my sin unto thee. You are clean and pure. It's all my fault, is Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4. And that is the way confession should be made. You can't blame anyone else for your sin. To varying degrees... We all contribute to one another by not being perfect brothers and sisters, perfect parents, perfect children, perfect pastors, perfect masters, perfect employees. But that little tiny bit of imperfection in there, God doesn't care about. Because you still make the choice to sin. And you made the choice. And every man shall bear his own burden. No one else has to bear your burden because you're going to bear it. One more reference on Leviticus chapter 26. Look at the Lord and how he describes the confession that he will receive. Leviticus 26, verse 40. This is the Lord telling what kind of a confession he'll receive and bless. Leviticus 26 and verse 40. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers... With their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember... And I will remember the land. I will remember everything that I have promised good toward these people. And I will forgive their sin. But notice the ifs. I have all the ifs in Leviticus 26 circled in red. Because those ifs in that chapter are so important. They are the condition for God's mercy towards you when you have sinned. Verse 40. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers. Now notice they don't blame their sin on the iniquity of their fathers, they confess the iniquity of their fathers along with their own iniquity. They take full, they lay it all before the Lord. They are not trying to shirk their responsibility. With their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me. If they confess, Lord, we have been walking contrary to you. We have gone in a way that you told us not to go. We turn to the right. We turn to the left. We've added to your word. We've taken away from your word. We did not do it your way. We did not do it your way. That's a confession. Verse 41, and that I also have walked contrary unto them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If, there's another if, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, And they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity. I deserve what you're doing to me because I sinned and transgressed your way. I deserve it. That's not somebody saying, well, it's not all my fault. 
That's someone saying, it is my fault and God, you are right in what you've done to me and you have put me into the land of, of my enemies and you are no longer walking with us and helping us and it is my fault. It is my fault. Have mercy upon me. And the Lord will hear a prayer of confession like that. But when we delude ourselves and say it is not all my fault, we are trying to blame someone else for our wickedness. All sins come out of your heart. They didn't come out of anyone else's heart. There's no one you know that imagined the evil that you have engaged in for you. They did not want you to do that. They've warned you against that. They've tried to keep you from that. They've done everything to, to stop you. But you went ahead and sinned. And God's going to hold you responsible. So don't say it's not my fault. My dad couldn't afford a minibike for me. So glad. It's good for my legs. I need one now. Another bicycle. It's not his fault that I had selfishness, envy, jealousy, anger, whatever else was inside me. If those things were inside me, you don't know whether I'm just telling you this or not. But it's not their fault. It's my fault. Right. You know, I had a bicycle. I had a great bicycle. I could whip most anyone on a bicycle. I was thankful for that bicycle. How can I blame anyone else? Why are you blaming anyone else? Everyone that you know in this church has tried to keep you from sin. If you've ended up in sin, it's a choice that you've made and don't blame anyone else. That's a delusion. Eve did it in the Garden of Eden. God, I didn't want to do that. The devil made me do it. Lord, Adam speaking, I didn't want to do that. That woman you gave me, she did it. And there we went. You, you made the choice because sin is a choice for you not to rule your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. When you don't keep your heart with all diligence, it will lead you astray because the heart is deceitful above all things. And how wicked is it? It is desperately wicked. And that's not talking about someone else's heart. That's talking about your heart. It's talking about my heart. That is the issue. These are delusions. We tell ourselves, I have more time. No, you don't. We tell ourselves, I can have worldly friends and it won't affect me. No, you can't. You tell yourself that you're not as, you're not as bad as others. We're not to measure ourselves among ourselves. You say, I'm being blessed anyway. That's God's approval of my lifestyle. Oh, no, it isn't. There's only one way you can have God's approval, and it's straight out of his word. Anything else could be God's curse on you by giving you the prosperity of fools to deceive you, to deceive you, and then destroy you, and then to say that it's someone else's fault. That's a lie of the devil. It started in the beginning, and we don't want it to perpetuate in our own lives. You must face the responsibility for every choice you make. When you get angry, when you say something you shouldn't say, when you lust after something, it is your fault. It's coming out of your heart. Brethren, we want to search our hearts and we want to have God help us search our hearts to see if there be any wicked way in us and to lead us in the way everlasting. God has called us to live holy lives for him. And we, we start that by asking God to search us and know us and try us and see if there be any wicked way. We are so good because we are so full of sin. We are so good at lying to ourselves and believing those lies to excuse living less than the best for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you're not living all out for the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no difference between you and the deceived pagan who takes the leftover remains of a tree and makes himself a god and falls down to it and says, deliver me. There's no difference. You are lying to yourself and you cannot deliver yourself from the lie because you don't recognize it. I gave you a few today to ask you to think about the lies that we tell ourselves that keep us playing around with sin. May God bring the word of God to bear on our lives to convict us that we will not play with sin in any part of our lives and we will not lie to ourselves to excuse it, but we will confess it and turn from it. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.